It's time to have a revolution. We've talked about all these great words. We've talked about excellence, exceed, excel, extravagant. We've titled them all to start with X and for X2 in the series that we're in because we're wanting to double the scope of ministry that TWBC does this year to expand the kingdom of God and to bring people into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I started out this whole series on December 27th this past year at our vision breakfast. And at the end of that message, I read this quote. This quote was mentioned by a lady who at the age of 18 was in a swimming accident and she was paralyzed from the neck down. For the next two years, she thought her life was over. She was ready to kill herself. She was ready to die. And then finally, God didn't just appear to her. She didn't hear an audible voice, but the Spirit of God spoke to her on the inside of her. And it awakened her to a revolutionary change in her life. And this is what she said. This is the only time in history when I get to fight for God. This is the only part of my eternal story when I am in the battle. Once I die, I will be in celebration mode in a glorified body in a whole different set of circumstances. This is my limited window of opportunity and I'm going to fight the good fight of faith for all I'm worth. You know, if a lady with paralyzed from the neck down can't use her arms and can't use her legs, can have this kind of attitude and be revolutionary, what about us as the church? The title of this morning's message is X2 Revolution. And I'm so grateful we just got done with a man conference and a and kingdom man and warrior conference because if we're going to be revolutionary, it means we're going to battle. So I didn't just wear a camouflage t-shirt this morning to blend in. I actually wore it to stand out because we got to realize this morning we are in the battle and we are revolutionary we are going to see great and amazing things happen like never before but in the process of being revolutionary it's going to take us changing some things about the way we've always thought and if we're going to accomplish those six words that we talked about excellence excel extravagant exceptional exceed an example it's going to take a revolution to take place. Now, the definition of a revolution is this. It is a complete change from one constitution to another. How many of y'all know about the United States and when we were founded in 1776 on July 4th when we declared our independence and that was the start of us becoming a nation? They began to develop the process after that of developing a new constitution. A revolution is a dramatic change from when one constitution is done away with, one form of living is done away with, one standard and lifestyle and things that dictate your life is done away with and a whole new set is brought in okay some of y'all are thinking I don't want to really change that much about my life <laughs> I'm not asking you to all at the one moment jump out there and say oh I'm in for this because I want you to pray about this because we're in this for the long haul baby I want you to pray and say God I need a new constitution in my life see it does no good for you to come up at the end of the church service in an emotional banter and say oh I'm gonna change I'm gonna be revolutionary but not commit to the new constitution that you're gonna live by see the United States when they began to develop this and they declared their independence and John Hancock signed his name the very first one when they signed their name they declared their independence from England and the superior empire of England at that time and they said we're gonna develop our own constitution and our own constitution is gonna dictate every part of our life every facet of our life this war did not just affect the government change it affected the government it affected politics it affected economics it affected religion it affected social dynamics it affected everything about their life I want you this morning to adopt a new constitution that affects every area of your life okay some of y'all are like Ooh, this is where Jesus said this is kind of tough because man when I was reading this and doing this message I was like oh Lord Jesus I'm gonna have to commit to this too I can't just preach this and not do it this is something that I'm stepping out there and I'm having a revolutionary change in my spiritual walk and I'm gonna live it out before you there's a German word for this that means all-encompassing and affecting every area and it's called 
Gestalt, G-A-S-T-A-L-T. And that word means affecting every area of an organization or an organism. So when you develop a new constitution, you are saying, God, I need a gestalt to take place in my life. I need you to develop the constitution of my life that's going to cause a revolutionary change in my life that will not just affect my religion. See, in the Western culture, we have been so good about preaching Christianity is just a religion. And it's what we do. But Jesus didn't preach it as a religion. He preached it as a gestalt. He preached this saying it's going to affect your government, it's going to affect your politics, it's going to affect your economics, it's going to affect your religion, it's going to affect your social standings, your social dynamics, it's going to affect every area of your life when a gestalt takes place because a new constitution has been put in place because you decided to have a revolution in your life. Are you ready for a revolution? Man, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Normally I'm like, that ain't good enough, answer me better. I don't want you to answer if you're not on board with it because you're going to have to walk this out before God, not me. But I know in my life, just like Joni Erickson Tata said when I read that quote, this is my only time in all of history when I get to make a difference in the world, when I get to fight for God. This is the only time in history when I get to fight the good fight of faith. And if this is my only time in history, my limited window of opportunity, there is no time for me to play. There is no time for me to joke around about Christianity. I need a gestalt, a complete change in the way I think about government, the way I think about politics, the way I think about economics, the way I think about my religion, the way I think about my social standings. I want a change in my life. And I'm praying God would begin to, to move in your heart. And an awakening would happen. A great awakening right here in TWBC that says good enough is not good enough anymore. I'm no longer happy with the status quo of my life. I'm no longer happy with just making sure things are okay. I'm ready for a gestalt change. Something that changes that affects everything in my life. Jesus, when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount, was not talking about a spiritual revolution. We in the Western culture, which is America, the United States, Canada, Mexico, the Western culture, that's what's classified as that. And largely the church in the United States of America view Jesus as just a religious person talking about religious issues in life. And we have made Jesus and, the, and Christianity just a religious thing. Jesus was not talking about religion. Jesus was talking about a gestalt. He was talking about implementing a new form of life that affects every area of your life. Many Christians struggle with their religion because they haven't had a gestalt. They had a religious enlightenment about who Jesus was. Many Christians in America today acknowledge Jesus, but we don't follow Jesus. I'm going to challenge you to have a gestalt, a complete change in every aspect of your life. Let it affect every part of you. Don't compartmentalize Jesus to just religion. Don't compartmentalize Jesus to just where you're at in church. Don't compartmentalize Jesus to just Sunday morning because Jesus doesn't want to be a Sunday morning Jesus. He wants to be a seven day a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 day a year, 10 years in a decade, a 100 years in a century, Jesus. Every part of you, every second of your day, he wants to be Jesus. But we've limited him to Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and saying, God, do a great transformation in me and change my religion. God don't want to change religions. He came to establish a kingdom. And in his kingdom, there is a religion and it is worshiping God the Father Almighty. There is a government system in his kingdom. There is a political part of the kingdom of God. Jesus was king of kings. So that, that shows he's all-encompassing. When Jesus declared upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know who he was talking about? No evil ungodly government, no evil ungodly politics, no evil ungodly economics, no evil ungodly religion, no evil ungodly social dynamic. He wasn't talking about the church. He was talking about his kingdom, the new empire he came to build. Jesus is challenging us this morning with the Sermon on the Mount. 
to have a gestalt, to have a transformation, to have a revolution that affects every part of my life. How is Christ affecting your political standing? How is Christ affecting the way you do your business at your job? How is Christ affecting the way your social structure is set up, who you hang out with, who you watch movies with, what kind of movies you watch, what you do when your alone time goes on? He wants to have a profound impact. He wants to have a gestalt in your life, an impact on every area of your life. Now, why did Jesus speak these things the way he did. Time Jesus was born, the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. How many of y'all have ever heard of Caesar Augustus? Caesar Augustus was the ruler of the Roman Empire, which was the ruler of the world. The whole known world was under Roman Empire rule. This is why Paul wrote a book to the Romans, because it encompassed all the world. Jesus, when he was born, Caesar Augustus was on the scene. And now there's an author named Horsley, and he's got a book, Jesus and Empire, out there that talks about the culture of the world in the time of Jesus. And if you don't understand the culture and the climate and the government and the politics and everything that was happening, all encompassing the gestalt of the Roman world in the time that Jesus was born, you'll miss 90% of the gospel. So it's imperative that you as a believer read the Bible, but then find out what was going on in the world historically so you can understand why Jesus did what he did in the Bible. So this is how the world viewed Caesar Augustus at the time. Caesar is considered the most divine Caesar. They gave him God attributes. Caesar was considered God of the world at the time. And this is what they wrote about him. We should consider Caesar to be equal to the beginning of all things. For everything was falling into disorder and tending toward disillusion, but Caesar, it once more gave newness to the whole earth. And a new aura has been brought about. Caesar, the common good fortune of all, the beginning of all life and vitality. All the cities unanimously, get this, when Caesar's birthday rolled around, all the cities of the world unanimously adopted the birthday of Caesar to be the divine Caesar and the beginning of the new year. Does this not sound a lot like what happened with Christ? And so they adopted that birthday as the beginning of the new year. It says, whereas providence, which was regulated our whole existence, so Caesar regulated our whole existence, has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the emperor Caesar Augustus, whom it filled, whom it Caesar filled with strength for the welfare of all men and who being sent to us and our descendants as a savior and has put an end to the war and has set all things in order. Having become, listen to this, having become God manifest in the flesh, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times, surpassing all the benefactors who preceded him. Whereas finally, the birthday of God, Caesar Augustus, has been for the whole world the beginning of the evangelon or the good news of the gospel of Caesar. And concerning him, his birth has ushered in a new era. This was the emperor that was alive when Jesus was born. This was the emperor who ruled the world when Jesus was born. People looked to him as the God King, the divine, the all-powerful, great and mighty Caesar. And the problem with that is it's called the Roman cult of Caesar. Many people have phrased it like that. And the Roman cult of Caesar was this. He was this great, mighty emperor that everybody worshipped as God, but he heavily taxed all the people. And the heavy taxation, the politics of all the people, they were forced to give up their land, but still tend the land that they were on, but give it all to Caesar. But Caesar, being a very wise man, nonetheless, would throw big parties, big bread parties, where he would go down through cities and just 
give bread to all the people and they would say, oh, how great is our Caesar? He was bankrupting them, but putting the disillusion on him that he's feeding us and taking care of us and helping us. And that's how he manipulated the crowds and he ruled the whole Roman world. He ruled the whole world like that. And now under the Roman Empire, you had Caesar Augustus and in the area Jesus lived, you had Herod who was king over that area. And because when the wise men came, they talked to Herod. Why do you think Herod was so freaked out when the wise men came to him and said, where is he who has been born the king? Herod freaked out and said, what are you talking about? Caesar is God. And it threw the whole world into turmoil. And when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus, God's son in the flesh, truly divine, begins to declare things in the Sermon on the Mount that I'll get to here in just a second. And Jesus begins to start a revolution against the known empire of the Roman world. Jesus wasn't starting a new religion. Jesus came to establish a new kingdom called the kingdom of heaven. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount, he comes and said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth. He wasn't about a new religion. He was about a new kingdom that affected government, that affected politics, that affected economics, that affected uh, social standings, that affected religion. It affected everything across the board. And so when Jesus was born, know a little bit about Jewish culture now. When Jewish kids were born, by the age of 12, get this, you want to feel um, not so smart? By the age of 12, they had to have the first five books of the Bible memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized, word for word. Because why? It wasn't a religion to them. It was a gestalt to them. It was all-encompassing to them. It covered every aspect of life, government, politics, economics, uh, religious, and social dynamics. It covered it all. You read the Bible, it says this when parents, parents, when you walk down the street with your kids, talk to them about Jesus. It talked about the social dynamics of parents and kids. It covered everything, so they had to have it all memorized by the age of 12. Now, if at the age of 12 you were an exemplary student, how many teachers you got in here? Raise your hand really high. How many of y'all love exemplary students? Say amen. When you had an exemplary student such as Jesus, at the age of 12, all boys are considered to come into the area of adolescence slash manhood. So at the age of 12, if you were an exemplary student and were, were at the top of your class and, and you had the Torah memorized, the first five books of the Bible, you could then go choose to follow a rabbi if you wanted. If you were not the smartest cookie in the box, you would then go back to your household or to another household and begin to do the trade and learn a trade of the people in the area such as if you were around the Sea of Galilee more than likely you would learn the trade of a fisherman if you were in the area of the woods you would learn how to be a woodsman if you were in, in all these things so you would learn a trade so Jesus at the age of 12 when they found him in the temple remember this at the age of 12 he was found in the temple and the people said where did he get his knowledge and understanding he was an exemplary student Jesus then at the age of 12 went on to follow a rabbi now at the age of 12 you would follow a rabbi and and they would talk about the following of a rabbi the disciples were the followers of the rabbi and they would follow so close that the dust of the rabbi would just come immerse them and come all over them that's how close they would follow their rabbi because they wanted to be just like the rabbi now what does the term rabbi mean rabbi means teacher of the law the, the rabbi, which is the teacher of the law, would be followed by disciples. And the rabbi was supposed to be such a good teacher that after he was dead and gone, even a couple generations down, they could tell who his, who his rabbi was by how good he was taught years earlier. Oh, you came from the school of so-and-so. It would be great two generations from now that we have such a profound impact on the world that people say, you operate so different than anything we ever knew. You must be a part of TWBC. We're making such good disciples. That's, that's what our goal needs to be as a church to make disciples that are that good, that people recognize the constitutional change that's taking place. So as they began to follow, they would begin to adopt everything that the rabbi would do. They would live with the rabbi 
24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. What he did, they did. If he would study for 12 hours, they would study for 12 hours. If he didn't sleep, they didn't sleep. If he would fast, they would fast. They would mimic his every move. Rabbis were teachers of the law. After you got to the term rabbi, you could actually graduate on farther and become this, a rabbi shmaha. A rabbi shmaha. What does that mean? You have the teachers of the law who would teach as they were educated and they would teach the law. But if you graduated on past that, you could come what Jesus did and it didn't just give you the ability to teach the law, it gave you the ability to challenge the common practice of the day and how the law was being applied of the day. This is why when Jesus said the things on the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, you have heard it said, but I say, he's giving a new interpretation of the law. He is setting a new standard in place. And these people began to freak out. And this is why the Pharisees got mad, because they liked the old law that was in place. They were getting rich. They were getting plenty of benefits. And Jesus comes along and says, you have heard it said, talking about the regular rabbis, but I say I'm implementing a new interpretation on this law that you practiced wrongly for so many years. And so when Jesus began to go and look for disciples, he didn't go to boys that were 12 years old. Now, this is a peculiar thing. He went and he found disciples who had already been rejected by rabbis and had to go find a common trade. He went and found fishermen and tax collectors. What does that mean for you and me? It means that when kids would go follow a rabbi, many of them could choose who they would follow. Jesus didn't let people choose to follow him. He went and selected who he wanted to follow him. And Jesus today is selecting you to follow him. He is selecting you. You may be sitting here saying, I don't have the first five books of the memorized. Good, the fishermen obviously didn't either because they weren't rabbis. They were fishermen. They had it memorized. It just wasn't to the best. Because Jesus wanted to give them a greater interpretation of the law, not just the memorized words of a book. And as Jesus wanted to give them greater interpretation of the law, he challenged the status quo of the Roman Empire with 12 uneducated tradesmen to overthrow the greatest empire the world had ever known. Now, you want to talk about a revolution. You want to talk about why it was so crazy when Jesus came on the scene. You want to talk about why such the uproar was happening when Jesus came on the scene. He didn't just say what he was going to do. He challenged his own people, the Jewish people, and he said, you have heard it said, but I say. And then he's basically looking on the mount uh, and giving this dissertation on the Sermon on the Mount. Looks out and says, I'm not just challenging you. I'm challenging the whole known world, and I'm fixing to bring in a new kingdom. You want to talk about the power of God coming in. And so now, now that you've got all this background information, I want to ask you a question. And I'm asking it to myself when I say this. Am I revolutionary? You ask yourself the same question. Are you revolutionary? I don't want to ask you the question. I want you to ask yourself that question. Am I revolutionary? When I was been praying over this, oh, the past eight or nine weeks, just reading the Sermon on the Mount, and this begins to come to me, I'm like, God, am I even a revolutionary? Am I someone who is willing to throw aside everything I've ever been taught, everything, doctoral degrees and everything, and get into your word so much that I don't have the American version of what Christianity is. I have the Bible version of what Christianity truly is. I have God's example of Christ-likeness. I have God's example of being a follower of Christ. I have God's example in Jesus Christ, and I won't look at it through my American Western culture educated knowledge. And, and y'all, that's hard. Now, I'm not saying that's an easy thing to do. This is when Jesus gave discourses, and the Bible says many people went and fell away. But I believe in you. I believe so much in the power of God in you that you're ready to be a revolutionary. And so I want you to ask yourself, am I ready to be a revolutionary? Am I ready to do this? 
for a revolution to take place, we got to remember Jesus did not come to establish a new religion. He came to start a new kingdom with a gestalt that affects government, politics, economics, religion, and social dynamics. The first thing you got to do is you've got to get a new constitution in your life. The Constitution of the United States dictates every aspect of the United States of America and throw out current politics at hand because some of you are like, well, I know they're not living by it now in Washington. Forget all that junk. It dictates every part of your life. That's why the Constitution is so important. What Constitution do you live by? A lot of people live by the American Constitution with Christianity placed on top of it, and that dictates your life. Because what the government does really controls your life, but I'm a Christian living in the United States of America, so this comes really first as your groundbreaking foundation, and then Christianity is built on top of it. This morning, I'm asking you to flip it. I'm asking you to become a Christian first that lives in America, and changes the world that you live in. Be revolutionary. Change your empire. Because the crazy thing, and everybody says all this crazy stuff about Rome back in the day. Many nations in the world viewed the United States the exact same way that the world viewed Rome at the time. A Western culture pushing our politics, our, our way of life, and our standard on everybody else. Well, it's not time that Joel is going to be American first anymore. I'm going to be Christian first. And I am so blessed to live in the great country of the United States of America. And I am not saying anything derogatory about America. And I am so appreciative to the men and women who serve our country and who are overseas and fighting right now so I can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning in freedom. Give, yes, give your soldiers a hand clap. But the worst thing Christians have ever done is become American before they become Christian. It's time we become Christian and watch God exalt once again a country that honors him. The Bible talks very plainly about those things. I don't have time to go into a political message right now, okay? But the Bible talks plainly about it. So if you're going to have a revolution, if you're going to be revolutionary, if you're going to change the world that you live in, it's going to have to happen by you having a constitution change. What is the constitution of a believer? That, that's the first question you got to ask. Pastor, what do I live by? And, and pastor, you got to be a lot more specific than the Bible. Okay? you got to narrow it down some because there's a lot of pages in the Bible. And, and, and I'm not a Jewish boy and I didn't memorize the first five books before I was 12. Be more specific to me. I will be very specific in your constitution. It is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It is the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus' discourse about the kingdom of heaven and what he came to establish in this earth. If we are Christ followers, which, 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 which is what Christianity means, or the term Christian means, it means follower of Christ, we must adopt the constitution that Jesus implemented in his, it's not his first public address, but his first major address to the world at the time when he declared, you have heard it said, but now I say... And then when he began to declare in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, challenging his known world at the time. The new constitution you live by is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I challenge you to read all three chapters every day for the rest of the year. Or read one chapter a day for the rest of the year and just read it over and over and over. Memorize those three chapters. Why? Why am I saying that? Why is that your constitution? Because the first thing is you're going to have a revolution. Now I can actually begin my sermon, okay? Are you ready for the message? The first thing you've got to have happen if you're going to see a revolution take place in your life is you've got to get mad. You've got to get upset. You've got to get angry. Some of y'all are like, What? That ain't Christianity. It says, be angry, but sin not. You know what makes me madder than anything in my own life? What makes me the maddest about me is when I read something in the Bible that has been around for, for centuries and centuries, and I've read the whole Bible through I don't know how many times, and I read something in the Bible, and then one day at the age of 36 where I am right now, something new appears to me, and I should have known it 12 years ago, but because I wasn't living by a new constitution and the way Jesus Christ did things, I missed 90% of what God was saying, and I get mad about stuff like that. 
I don't want to be so far behind and so ignorant that I'm missing what Jesus said. If you're going to have a revolution, you got to realize that you're oppressed by the enemy right now. That you got to realize that there is something trying to block everything you're trying to do to create a revolution in your life. Hollywood's trying to stop you. Social dynamics are trying to stop you. Everything in the world is trying to stop you. And it's time you get mad about it. It's time you get upset about it. It's time you get mad that you let something else dictate your life when you say, I am built and founded on the Lord Jesus Christ. If other things are dictating your actions, your lifestyle, your decisions, your government, your politics, and everything else, you've got to change and you've got to have a personal revolution. I want to have a personal revolution every year of my life. I don't ever want to be satisfied with where I'm at. And when you finally get mad about something, lights start coming on. Have you ever noticed that? When you finally decide something, a lot of people, that when they begin to pray, they just pray, oh, God, change this. Oh, God, change this. Oh, God, could you do this? for? Oh, God, oh, God. And, and you pray that for days and weeks and months, and you don't get results. Finally, one day, you wake up and you get mad, and you say, God, I am so upset about this because your word says, and then, boom, it's like something begins to break free immediately. Well, you finally started declaring the word of God over a situation, which is your constitution, which dictates every area of your life. And you now are in spiritual authority, overcoming the empire of this world to develop the kingdom of God in the um, earthly, natural world you're living in. So get mad sometimes. Get mad at yourself. This is where the Bible says, spur one another on to good works. Challenge one another. Text one another. Have you read the Gospels today? Have you read the Bible today? Have you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 today? Send text to each other. Spur one another to good work. Challenge the body of Christ to rise up. If we're going to be revolutionary, it's going to take getting angry. And listen to the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. It talks about the light coming on to the people. The people were oppressed under the Roman Empire. And the first thing that Jesus began to say to all the Jewish people who were oppressed greatly by the Roman Empire, who had lost their land from generations back, and now are having to work the land that they didn't even own to pay taxes, that they couldn't even pay for Caesar to give them bread, and they had to be happy about it because they couldn't challenge the empire, Jesus turns a light on. He looks at all these depressed and oppressed people and says, blessed. He just begins to declare the blessing of the word of God on their life. Blessed, blessed, and he does it nine times. And I love how some of these end. It says blessed, and then it's a phrase, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say blessed. Then he says a phrase, and it says, for they will be called children of God. Then he says blessed, and then he goes on and says, for they shall see God. Blessed, and then again he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he begins to declare the blessing of God on the people of God again. And lights begin to come on, and people are saying, why haven't we been taught this all along? And it begins to revolutionize them. And so if you're going to have a revolution in your life, you've got to get angry about the things you don't know that you should have known. And you can't blame somebody for not teaching you in Sunday school because you got a Bible yourself. you got access to every internet site that I do. Blueletterbible.org, BibleGateway.com. All the commentaries are out there. Just start reading and let God begin to just develop in you a foundation like never before. The light has got to come on if you're going to have a revolution in your life. The next thing Jesus goes on in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 48, Jesus begins to declare, and he says, follow me, is what he begins to declare. Notice he said, follow me, not acknowledge me. He says, follow me, not acknowledge me. Listen, everybody take your right hand, hold it up real high, all right? Now watch me, put your finger on your chin. Many of you started putting your finger on your nose. And then you stopped and said, chin, chin? What do I do? Nose or chin? Nose or chin? Joel, your finger's on your nose, and you said chin. What do I do? And we see the chaos of putting your finger to your chin in church. What about everything else? Now, something that's simple and silly to laugh about 
is the exact same thing the world is seeing about Christianity today. They see a confused Christianity because we are acknowledging him, but we're not following him. This is why your actions tell who you are. People follow actions, not words. This is why when I said, put your nose on your chin, everybody started doing this and said, what? What do I do? What do I do? Because you follow actions. You want to be revolutionary in your life? You begin to love completely different. You begin to love completely different. Matthew 5, 13 through 48 talks about murder begins in the area of the heart. Adultery begins in the heart. It talks about going the second mile. It talks about loving your enemies. If you want to be revolutionary and live by the constitution that Jesus was implementing, which is going to usher in the kingdom of heaven here on this earth, our actions as the body of Christ must be taken up three or four different levels and actually be the actions that Jesus spoke about, not what we think is right in Western culture. If you're going to be revolutionary, start acting different. When the Constitution or, the, or when the Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776, and we celebrate July 4th every year, the people who signed the Declaration of Independence started acting different the moment they wrote their name on that declaration. Because they declared, I am free from this lifestyle over here. And I'm going to start living like what I'm declaring I am. We're going to start operating different in government, politics, social dynamics, uh, religious stuff, everything across the board. A gestalt has to happen. Don't just act different in church, uh, okay? A lot of people are good actors in church. Don't act different in church. I love what somebody came up and told me this morning. Uh, they said, hey, how are you doing? I said, good, how are you? And they said, today I can really say good. But if you would ask me last Sunday, I would have said something completely different to you because I wasn't going to lie to you. Don't act different, but start acting different. Start a lifestyle revolution. Husbands, when you go home, really love your wives. Don't just do them lip service. Wives, when you go home, really love your husbands. Don't just do them lip service. Parents, when you go home, show your kids what a Christian dad should be. Show your kids what a Christian mama should be. Mama, show your parents what you're doing and how it's going to affect generations down the line. Watch what God begins to do in your life. If you're going to be revolutionary, the first thing you do is you got to get angry and lights have got to start coming on. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to start following him, not just acknowledging him. This is why in the church of the United States, when we have altar calls and people come to the front and pray a prayer, I'm not dissing that because we do that. It, got, it has got to be more than an acknowledgement of who Jesus is. Because when you get born again, lifestyle changes happen. You start following him. Well, how do I know what to do? Matthew 5, 6, and 7 tells you says to love your enemy, says to go the extra mile, says to help the weak and the oppressed. It begins, says, begin to take care of one another's needs, begin to challenge the lifestyle that you're living. If we're going to be revolutionary, it's going to have to take passion. Passion. How many of you have ever been passionate about something? See, a lot of people say they're passionate about something, but if passion is gone after three days, you weren't passionate. You were excited. <laughs> you were excited about something. And it's okay to be excited about things. But when it becomes a passion that burns deep on the inside of you, when it becomes a passion to please God more than anything else, you won't just love other people differently. Your lifestyle will begin to show it differently. Passion for pleasing God is what is going to change the world that you live in. Passion for pleasing God will do this. It will override every fear and every stronghold that you face. See, a lot of people in the Christian world and when we, in the United States of America, we, we use this as a cop-out. Pastor, when I get over my sin issues, then I'll be able to do stuff in church and I'll begin to be a good example and I can do this. I can't teach because I got this issue. I can't do this because I got that issue. I'm struggling with this. Well, if you would get passionate about pleasing God, about honoring God, about exalting his name above everything else, it will override every fear and every stronghold that you have.
If we become a passionate group of believers, very passionate about the things of God, very passionate about the gospel and, the, and what Jesus Christ said about how we lights need to come out and how we love differently and how we live differently, when we become passionate about it, that passion will override any fear that you have. Well, I would love to teach that, but I just can't talk. I am so afraid. Get passionate. Get passionate. Not excited. Get passionate because passionate will spur you to live differently. If you know you struggle with an issue, passion will begin to change and override every stronghold you got. There are things that, that, that face this church on a daily basis that I look at and I say, oh, God, we can't take that step. And he said, then get passionate. Get passionate about times two, and then you'll be able to go times two. Get it a part of you, not just something you like to hear about. Make Christianity following Christ part of you and passionate about you, not just something you like to say you are. If we're going to see revolution take place, it's going to be because lights come on. It's going to be because we begin to follow him. It's going to be because we get passionate about him. And for a revolution to be successful, it has to be built on something greater than yourself. If you are doing this Christianity thing just so you can get to heaven, you need to reevaluate if you're born again. You need to check yourself. You need to begin to say, God, forgive me. Listen, put heaven aside for a minute. You're born again. It's yours. So, so you're there. So put it aside. Completely put it out of the picture. It's already a done deal. It was paid for on the cross of Calvary. It was paid for when Jesus Christ died. When you said, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, that's a done deal. So heaven should be a non-issue right now. It's already done. It's already there. It's already yours. It's a non-issue. What should become the issue right now is leaving a legacy of building the kingdom of God so that when you get to heaven, you're not by yourself. See, so many Christians, especially in the United States, especially even in, in good old Northeast Texas, right where we live, we are so satisfied that, hey, I'm good, I am going to heaven. Jesus was so unsatisfied that he said, I'm going to leave heaven and I'm going to come down to earth and establish a kingdom. Do you see the difference? When you become a follower of Christ, when you truly become passionate about him, you're not worried about how quick you get to heaven because you know it's already there. What your concern is is how long you can stay on this earth to build a bigger kingdom for the kingdom of God and watch God transform a nation, a world, and a new empire. My whole existence in life is not about getting to heaven. It's about changing the world and bringing heaven to earth and building the kingdom of God. People are saying, oh, heaven would be so great. I can't wait to get there. I can. I can wait. Paul said to live is to be like Christ, but to die is gain. I want to live to be 120. I want to preach every day of my life. I'm passionate. I want to expand the kingdom. I want a revolution to take place because I live, not because I was so ready to die and go home. Do you want a revolution?